It's Wednesday, May the 6th. We're studying through 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2 is the chapter that we're in. And we've gotten finally to the end of a long series of dependent clauses here in this chapter. And we're getting the resolve of this long setup. So let's take a look at it in 2 Peter chapter 2. You saw here, after we talked about false teachers, a series of if statements. At least that's how they're presented to us in English. If God didn't spare angels, if God didn't spare the ancient world, flood, if God turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, if God rescued righteous Lot. We've seen all of this. Now we finally get to, in English here, verse number 9, and that's what we're going to deal with today. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, Then, if all that's happened, if God has punished the evil and delivered Noah and delivered Lot, then here's the conclusion. And we're not quite done with it, as you'll see here. We'll get into tomorrow in the last part of this in verse number 10. But for today, verse 9, finally going to read it. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly from trials. We've seen in the text so far, in the two, two examples of deliverance, Noah and Lot, it says, and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, which we've seen the angels here that had sinned. We saw the ancient world that uh, was continually sinful, Genesis 6. Then we saw Sodom and Gomorrah, the examples of that, and uh, all the conduct of the wicked that were tormenting uh, soul, the soul of Lot. And so here we have this particular statement, and I guess there's a couple questions we should ask. Uh, let's start with this right here. The Lord... Uh, who is the Lord in this passage? I guess it's a minor uh, thing for us to define, but I mean, we should think it through. There's no clear antecedent for this. It seems like just based on the context of the God the Father uh, not sparing the angels and God the Father turning the cities of Sodom into ashes and God the Father uh, flooding the ancient world, not sparing the ancient world, then we're probably talking about here, not Jesus, although that word kurios in Greek, the word translated Lord in the New Testament, uh, certainly applies both to the Son and the Father. Nevertheless, just to try and clarify here, I think we're talking about uh, the Lord that is God the Father for the sake of clarification. Now let's look at this phrase in 2 Peter chapter 2. The Lord knows how to, which is an interesting thing to say, of course, but we need to be reminded of it sometimes. Uh, there are situations where people have doubted the word of God, the promise of God, and the promise here in our passage is the judgment on those false teachers and the way to preserve us to stand stable against that false doctrine in our day, uh, in their day, in the first century. And uh, I thought here of a few examples of this, Abraham and Sarah, uh, were old, advanced in years. You remember they were told that they were going to have a child. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's not menstruating, to be very clear here, in verse number 12. So Sarah laughed at herself and said, I'm worn out. Uh, my Lord, small l, we're talking here about Abraham, is old. Uh, shall I have the pleasure? Shall I have the pleasure of having these children? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed... Uh, and say, here's the quote, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Now here's the response here of the messenger of God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
So it's just a great reminder here in the midst of a promise of God that seems hard to believe. And there are times when you may think the world's so messed up, the church is so messed up. And by that, I mean the uh, professing church is so messed up. And uh, there's so much false doctrine. And look at the Christian radio, look at Christian bookstores, look at Christian institutions. There's just so much compromise. And uh, all we're saying here is a reminder that even when it looks difficult, uh, we need to remember what we're constantly reminded to remember in the scripture. And that is that Nothing's too hard for God. And when I thought about Abraham and Sarah, I couldn't help but think about the next time this phrase is used almost identically when the angel, another messenger here, coming to Mary, and she's saying, how in the world am I going to have this child? I've never had relations with a man. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born. You shall be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, even Elizabeth in her old age, much like Sarah, has conceived a son. This will be the sixth month of... Um, And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, not barren anymore. Uh, Look at this phrase now. Nothing will be impossible with God. And just a reminder here, and again, these are three examples of births that uh, weren't expected. Elizabeth, because she was old. Sarah, because she was old. Mary, because she hadn't had relations with a man. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Here's the right response, which Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, didn't have. Now, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. But the idea here of being resigned to the fact that even if things are difficult in our minds to see how God's going to pull it off, to remember that nothing will be impossible with God. And so it is in our Christian life. This uh, promise here in the text is God knows how, and certainly he does. He has the ability. He can. He's able. Nothing is beyond him. Nothing's too hard for him to rescue the godly from trials. And before we look at that Uh, phrase, rescue the godly from trials. Let's start with the word trials here, because that is translated uh, in different translations, different ways, two primary ways. As a matter of fact, if you look at your ESV translation, you'll see the word trials has a footnote because it's trying to remind us of this. And that is that this word, periosmos, is used throughout the New Testament. As you can see, here's just the wheel of translation, the ESV. This all relates to the ESV translations, uh, translation is that half the time, uh, almost exactly half the time, it is translated temptation. And then even in the other context, you'll be able to see, if you have Logos, you can click on this and do a little word study on this. The concept of trials and testing, usually relating to the option that we have to disbelieve, to distrust, to disobey. Uh, And so when we're talking about trials here, we're talking about that lure to do something that we should not do. And that's the context. Remember, the false teachers exploiting those in the church to follow their their line, their their anemic and, and unbiblical and self-aggrandizing and selfish, greedy kind of Christianity. And so we need to be reminded in this context that God can rescue the godly. Matter of fact, he's well able to do it. Nothing is beyond him. He can do it. He's sufficient to do it. And he can do it in your life is the encouragement of the Apostle Peter to his first century audience. And of course, the Spirit's encouragement to us. Now, he knows how to get us out of the trials. Uh, Take a look at this text here in the context, just to remember the context. That's the trial. False prophets arose among the people, and they'll be among you. They've got this very surreptitious and uh, clandestine kind of secretive, destructive heresy that gets slipped in. And uh, we are to remember that um, they want to exploit you. They want you to buy their stuff. And I don't mean that literally. I guess I do mean that literally, but they want you to buy it mentally so that you will buy their stuff so often because it's nothing but a greedy motivation and their condemnation long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Uh, this is the temptation 
in the context, and maybe it'd even be better translated temptation, he's able to rescue the godly from the temptations, but you'd have to look at the context to know what the temptation is, which we all should as good students of the Bible, and know what we're talking about, these destructive heresies that we need to avoid. And they're very secret, they're very clandestine, they're slipped in with a lot of Christian uh, verbiage and Christianese. All right, well, here's the passage now. Let's look again at the whole concept here. God knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And I just thought some historic examples of this, this one in particular, which is classic, the most frequently cited Old Testament example of God's deliverance and redemption and protecting his people who are crying out for God to help, is of course the Exodus. And here in Jeremiah, at the fall of the southern tribes in uh, Israel, uh, here is the reminder through Jeremiah. Ah, O Lord, it is you that have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. God is able to do whatever he is capable, he can, and by your outstretched arm, which is a great poetic picture throughout the Old Testament of God flexing his muscles, so to speak, be able to do whatever he purposes to do. Now here's our phrase again, nothing is too hard for you. And, and here's the thing, look at the bifurcation and the two different groups. Uh, to show steadfast love to thousands, right? This, these are your people. Look at how you show that hesed, the Hebrew word, the covenant commitment, that love to the people that you are uh, in relationship with. But on the other hand, you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. And, and the reality of God keeping all that straight and bringing all that kind of justice to those people, it says, is a reminder that God is a great and mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man. Whether you're a part of these thousands that God has set his love on and redeemed, or whether you're part of the guilty, uh, and he's rewarding each one according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds, you have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. There's the reminder of the most frequently recited um, deliverance of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, which is a picture, of course, of our spiritual redemption in Christ. And to this day in Israel, among all mankind, you've made a name for yourself as it, as it is this day. And even though they were going into captivity, which is whole, the whole point of Jeremiah's, um, much of his writings was to remind Israel, even though things look bad and it looks like the bad guys are winning and the good guys are losing, here's God's covenant people. They were being rightly punished for their sins, but it doesn't mean that God's not able to preserve, which of course he would do. Matter of fact, Jeremiah makes that very clear through the Babylonian captivity and bring them out the other side. God is able to rescue his people, that remnant within Israel during that Babylonian captivity in the 6th century BC. He's able to take them through that and preserve them. Uh, and he's able to punish the evildoers, which in that case was Babylon, who would be destroyed in the middle of their 70-year um, captivity. And uh, we saw the transition of power to the Medo-Persians. So God is able to know how to rescue the godly from trials. And the trials that we face are really, that word here again is temptations. And I couldn't help but take you to the most familiar passage in all of the New Testament for this. No temptations overtaking you, but I thought at least I would break it down here as it just should be preached and thought about and even read. Uh, the temptations that we face, well, number one, they're pretty common. Satan's, you know, rewarming the same 12 temptations in every generation. But the good news is God is faithful, and he will not let you, he has the power, to be tempted beyond your ability. God is able to preserve you in the midst of that temptation, whether it's doctrinal temptation or fleshly temptation, whatever it might be, and he'll provide the way of escape. Well, how can he promise such a thing? Because God can do anything. He has all power. He knows how to rescue the godly from trial that you may be able to endure it. And that's the hope of Peter to his audience. It's the hope of 
the Christians, anybody who reads, reads the New Testament know God can get you through the temptations. God can get you through the trials, the testing of our doctrinal fidelity and our fidelity in our sanctification, even though we all stumble and fail. As we talked about yesterday, the reality is God is a God who is able to rescue us from those trials. Now, here it says, and to keep under punishment, uh, keep the unrighteous rather under punishment until the day of judgment. And this is a bit of a confusion here for us because we read this uh, to keep here. This is a, uh, a present infinitive uh, to keep them under punishment. That's a present uh, participle in language. And both of these are present. So how in the world is he keeping the unrighteous under punishment until the ultimate judgment coming in the day of judgment? Well, I just want to remind you that this is the way the language of the New Testament often presents the coming judgment. We know the day of judgment is when the bad guys end up getting their due. Well, look at how it's often spoken of in Scripture. John chapter 3, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son, that's present tense, shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Well, right now, it seems like the people that reject Christ, they don't obey the Son. That seems like they're doing just fine. But here's the present tense grammatical discussion of a future reality of the wrath of God. How about Romans chapter 1, verse 18? For the wrath of God, look at this, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. We've dealt with this already in 2 Peter in our study, but look at the reality. It's like it's coming. It's coming. It's so coming that we can speak of it as already here, even though it hadn't started yet. And they are the ungodly, the unrighteousness of men who suppress, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Or the context of our passage, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Well, wait a minute. It's not here yet. Well, it, I know it's not here yet. It hasn't come, and God hasn't pressed the accelerator, but it's, 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 it's on the way. It's coming. It's, it's started up, and it's going to be here. And the destruction is not asleep. Think, well, what are you talking about? It's not, it's not happening yet. Well, that's the fear that we have is that God is not going to punish and make things right. We see a lot of injustice as we looked at yesterday that always reminds us that we want things to be fixed and to be better, but we have to recognize God is a God who will judge. He can rescue us from the temptations that we face. He can keep the unrighteousness under punishment, which really is a present way to discuss grammatically what is happening in the future. Uh, and we know that's going to happen. There were examples of God putting some demons, for instance, we saw in captivity until the day of judgment. Well, that's a, a sense in which we need to think about every false teacher, every person who is teaching or leading or tempting or causing people to, to defect from Christian living, Christian teaching, Christian belief. Now, the Bible says, be sure God is going to end this and he's going to end it so much like the prophetic perfect the way we talk about language in the old testament something that's so certain to happen they talk about it as already happening and that's the idea here with this present um, infinitive and this present participle to keep them uh, under punishment until the day of god's judgment well the day of god's judgment is when it all gets absolutely buttoned up and settled and we look forward to that day when the church is cleaned out when the wheat and the tares are separated and god establishes his church and brings the due on those who have led many Christians uh, to doubt and some even the Christians in name only to defect. And so we wait for that day with great anticipation and with confidence, which is the whole point. He can rescue us and keep us stable in our Christian faith. All right, more on Second Peter tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and comment. It's always an encouragement. We'll see you back here tomorrow.